Good morning, Jackson, Mississippi, and all surrounding areas. You've tuned in to the Free Range Human Show of Choice, your daily dose of reality radio. It starts now. It is Friday here in central Mississippi. And uh, your boy got his windows tinted yesterday over at Lakeland Glass and Tent. So 99% of my Monday or morning driving angst, should I say, are now over. When you bright light, nuclear-powered headlight-having individuals get behind me, now, you're not bothering me. I can actually see. I can read the computer screen this morning here in the Mac hike of Flowood Studios. I can see my notes. What a difference some window tint makes. So get over there to Lakeland Glass and Tent in Flowood or check out lakelandglassandtent.com and get signed up and uh, go ahead and get your windows tinted. Wow, I forgot how much I enjoyed tinted windows. I d- did not have it done on my Tahoe until yesterday. And uh, they were like, don't roll your windows down for three days. I'm like, I may never roll my windows down again. What are you talking about? All right, look, man, we got something a little different for y'all this morning. Uh, We're going to push the Jackson news and all that fun stuff to the back half of the show. Here on the front half of the show, we have an interview with Mr. Chase Oliver. He is with the uh, Libertarian Party. He's put together a presidential exploratory committee. And uh, he's going to be in Jackson this Saturday at Fondren Public around 7 o'clock downtown there. We've got Chase here on the line. Hey, Chase, you there? Oh, yeah, I'm right here, and uh, I, I hope everybody has a good morning. Well, we appreciate you joining us this morning. Hey, quick quick question here, uh, just to kind of start this off. Uh, you know, Mississippi is a we, – we like to fancy ourselves as a, as a red state, but we're really more purple than we are red. But – I was talking to a friend last night and trying to explain to her what the Libertarian Party was. She's not as plugged into politics as a lot of people. And, and she, she kind of jokingly said, is that the same thing as a vegetarian? And I laughed, yada, yada, yada. But I got to thinking about it. If, if big government and the Republican and Democrat Party is red meat, then the Libertarian Party would be the vegetarian in comparison to that. So kind of made it funny there. But what, what explain to people here in Mississippi that might not really know what a Libertarian is and what the Libertarian Party is. Yeah, so thanks. Uh, broadly speaking, the Libertarian Party is a party that supports maximum freedom for each and every individual. Uh, we believe that you can control your life better than the government can, that you have better agency over your life uh, than government, and that ultimately, you know, you know, we support individual liberty, maximum freedom, uh, you know, small government, low taxes or no taxes in many cases. And, uh, you know, we want to limit the power of the state, which has taken control over so many people, both on the left and the right. I tell people, you know, a lot of people think of the world as left versus right. Libertarians think about the right to be left alone. I like that. And, I, you know, and I believe after seeing the power and money grab through COVID and what happened, even in a state like Mississippi with a. Republican governor and a lot of Republican mayors and all this, that, and the other. We saw the restrictions and the lockdowns and the forced closures of businesses, uh, vaccine mandates, all this, that, and the other. You know, I think it's a, I think it's a prime time for a third party or a libertarian mindset to grab a halt and possibly, you know, when start winning some of these elections. Yeah, I think uh, the, the pandemic was a great example of big government run amok. Because not only did you have the massive amount of spending, much of it coming from even under the Trump administration, so I don't think Republicans can really talk the talk when it comes to fiscal restraint anymore because they blew up the deficit in the wake of COVID. And even before COVID, they were spending like crazy uh, in the Trump administration and uh, on before my entire adult life. 
And, uh, and with COVID, you know, from a personal liberty standpoint, you know, we saw people's bodily autonomy being violated. And really, we're a party of personal responsibility. We don't believe in mandating that behavior. We believe that people will make good choices on their own, and they don't need the government to force it with the barrel of a gun. Well, you know, for forever they've told us, consult with your physician, consult with your physician. And uh, funny that every physician just so happened to be on the same page. I was blessed. I, my, my personal physician actually told me not to get the vaccine. And looking at the way things are, are rolling out now, I'm very, very, very glad that I didn't. But neither here nor there. Uh, I, I agree with you 100 percent on the on the covid stuff and just the the, the mandates uh, that woke a lot of people up. To say, well, you know, I thought that voting Republican and being a good Republican meant that that we wouldn't be we wouldn't have to deal with this stuff. But sure enough, uh, we did. I mean, I'll just never forget our governor, Tate Reeves, here in Mississippi, uh, deciding what were essential businesses and what were non-essential. Well, the the bill collectors don't don't distinguish essential versus non-essential. You know, everybody's bills were still due. I, I have a lot of friends in the service industry and the music industry and stuff like that. And, man, they were shut down for a solid year. You know, it's just it, we, we can't ever allow that to happen again. And, and, you know, and I like to say this, you know, uh, while government's trying to decide what's essential and non-essential, libertarians believe that each and every person is essential. They have their own rights, and their own liberty, their own agency. And that's what we're going to stand up and defend if you elect libertarians. And I encourage Mississippians who are out there who maybe want to learn more about the Libertarian Party, get involved with the Libertarian Party of Mississippi. They're a growing state affiliate, and they would love to have you come to their meetings, get plugged in with them, because that's how we're going to grow this thing. That's how we're going to start challenging the two-party system. And in the state of Mississippi, 71% of the state representatives ran unopposed, and that's due to gerrymandering. And so we have to have an alternative to the two-party system, and that's the Libertarian Party. Uh, you hit the nail on the head right there. Hey, so you really, uh, as far as a national profile uh, here lately, you've kind of gained the national profile. Uh, you, you take credit or blame, however you want to slice it up, for the Warnock Walker race in Georgia going to a runoff. So, how, how what is yeah. it? What is your what has your political career been like post that? Well, you know, it was a it was an exciting race to run. You know, I got to meet thousands and thousands of Georgians going as I campaigned all across the state. And just over 81,000 of them placed their faith in me and voted for me as a, as a sign that they were tired of the two-party system. They were tired of Warnock. They weren't satisfied with Walker, and they wanted something better. And I offered that viable alternative for them to vote for. So that was a very exciting race. And, and once the runoff occurred, you know, a lot of people started paying attention to, oh, my gosh, now we have to go out and vote again. Now we have to. We're going to spend millions of dollars to hold another election. And the entire campaign, I said, hey, I want to be the last guy to force a runoff because if we pass something like ranked choice voting in Georgia, it's an instant runoff. And that's the way every military service person voted in Georgia uh, in this past election because of the short time window between the election and the runoff. They didn't have time to get two ballots out. So they said, put your first choice down, and if it goes to runoff, we'll go with your second choice uh, kind of a deal. And they had a ranked choice ballot. So if it was good enough for the military overseas voters and it's going to save us millions of dollars and a lot of time and a lot of Warnock and Walker ads that we didn't want to watch, I think that would have been a great improvement. But, uh, you know, people blame me for the runoff, but I blame the system for the way the runoff is set up. Well, you know, so t tell me this. One, one of the popular um, myths to throw out there is anytime a libertarian candidate causes a runoff or something like that or they or a Democrat wins an election because of the the, the votes that a libertarian got – 
it, it, people love to say that that costs the Republican. There's just this, always this assumption that the libertarians are sabotaging the Republicans, not the Democrats. But I was just talking to the host that comes on before me, uh, Stephen Yatroska, and he's like, well, there's actually some studies that show that's not the case, that it's, it's usually yeah, my- disenfranchised or pr- pretty evenly split down the middle. Yeah, if you look at the exit polling for my race, um, most of my voters declared themselves as independents. They weren't, they weren't a Democrat or a Republican identifying, and they may vote one way or the other a little bit more um, or not vote at all, like you said. And then I did get some Republican votes and some Democrat votes. But the truth is, is uh, if Republicans had wanted to win, there's an entire huge pool of over 2 million voters in Georgia who did not even vote. And that's because they didn't feel inspired by anybody to vote. And that's mostly because they feel apathetic because of the two-party system we have. They feel like their vote doesn't really count and that it's all it's just going to be one terrible blue winner or one terrible red winner. So why should I even get out to vote? And that is a direct result of the two-party system being uninspiring and not doing their job. Yeah, no doubt. So they, they can't blame me. No, no. Get out and get out and vote if you're not happy. That's what we do here. We, we get out and vote, yeah. and, I, and I believe that's what the big that's what the system wants is they want apathy. The mm-hmm. you know, the blue and red side teams they want apathy. They want because I believe it's just a big uniparty anyway, and they just the longer they can keep us down here bickering back and forth over nonsense, the the more they win and the more control they get. So let me tell you a big part of this uh, exploratory effort that I'm doing is because uh, I want to get out and reach out to libertarians and others and inspire them that there can be a different message and an alternative to that. And uh, one of the things that I want to talk about to people is how we're going to capture the Gen Z voter. There are these, there's this huge number of voters that are about to enter into our pool, and they're voting in larger numbers than young people used to, and they're, they're ready to get engaged. And if we can get them to vote outside of the two-party system in their first election, we'll get them to look outside of the two-party system, at least glance at it and take a look for every election for their lifetime. But if they get stuck in the R and D cycle, it takes a lot more to pull those people out. And so I'm all about, and and trust me, I want to pull as many people out of the R and D parties as I can and bring them to liberty. But the truth is, is we have to start engaging a new generation of voters. Because right now our country is being controlled by people who are in their 70s and 80s, and it's the people like me who are in their 30s or people younger than me in their 20s and teens who are really going to be affected down the line by this overspending and this big government. And so... I want to try to engage new voters and get people out, and that's why I'm driving all over the South. That's why I'll be in Jackson this weekend and uh, and doing my thing because I want to try to engage people and get them excited about the alternative to this two party system. Yeah, no, no doubt. Look, and I, I I'm I'm on the tail end of Gen X. I'm a four, I'm 45, and I feel just like the millennial crowd does. I feel like I'm never gonna have a chance to own a home. I'm never gonna you know get to buy into the quote unquote American dream, especially if you got a late start, you know, for whatever reason, you know. So it's not just uh, your guys' generation. It's, it's, the, it's the tail end of the last one before you as well. All right, I tell you what, let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to talk to you about cannabis freedom and some of the stuff on your agenda here. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We are joined on the phone by Chase Oliver. He is looking at making a run for president as a libertarian. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We're live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Studios. We'll be right back after this break. Live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Studios, and uh, this segment's going to be brought to you by Guns and Gear. Get out there and see them right there on Highway 51 North in Gluckstadt. That's Guns and Gear. You can shop them online, gunsandgearms.com, for all of your guns and ammo needs. And, of course, they do gunsmithing and Cerakoting as well. And they're the home of No Limit Ammo. Shop them 
365, 24-7 online at gunsandgearms.com or get out there and see them in person right there on the corner of Yandale Road and 51 in Gluckstadt. All right, on the Clay Edwards Show hotline, we've got Chase Oliver. He is uh, looking at a run for president of the United States of America as a libertarian candidate. Chase, you there? Yeah, I'm, I'm there, and I'm actually going to check out the ammo prices on that website for uh, for my gun. Hey, man, look, they're, they're great locally owned business, and d- during the great ammo shortage of COVID, they were one of the few places, if not the only one here locally, that offered no limit on purchases. Like, what, first come, first serve, buy all you can. So I, I definitely appreciate that. A bit of a libertarian mindset. Absolutely. Not limiting anybody. All right, so <clears throat> something that's been a really big deal here in Mississippi for the last, well, forever, but our 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 uh, capital our folks down at the capital about screwed it up and uh is is the, the marijuana stuff and we got medical cannabis here to, and one of your platforms here is um is talking about uh the personal use of cannabis and the, the freedom to to treat cannabis just like alcohol uh, so talk about mm-hmm. that some yeah so um i'm absolutely in support of, of course medical cannabis for you guys i think that's great but personally uh and i think really honestly Cannabis should be legal for any adult who wants to consume, similar to alcohol. Uh, why is this? Because cannabis has shown to be less uh, dangerous than alcohol, uh, less dangerous than tobacco, but yet these things are, but yet it is still illegal in a Schedule One substance uh, federally, which is ridiculous. Now the Biden administration said they're going to deschedule. Uh, we're still waiting on that to happen. Of course, they wanted to get that as votes in the midterms. But reality, every adult should be able to consume cannabis if they if they so choose. Just like a you know a, a woman who has a glass of red wine at the end of a long day, she should similarly be able to say, you know what, I want to consume a little cannabis at the end of my day. And when you think about why cannabis is illegal recreationally and who fights these things, you have to think about who stands to gain the money. The alcohol and tobacco companies, they don't want to lose their market share to someone being able to go to the store and be able to purchase cannabis as opposed to being able to go to a uh, somewhere where they could be in uh, you know, back alley where they can get arrested, where they could cause all kinds of problems. And so, you know, and, and, and it's beyond just being able to, you know, have your own behavior and choose what you put into your body. It also creates a whole lot of criminal justice uh, hours that could be spent doing other things other than persecuting people for adult behavior. Yeah, you know, I got a buddy of mine who was really big on the front lines of the fight for the medical, by the marijuana legalization in Mississippi named Hardy Case. And one of the things that he kind of corrected me on, and I'm glad he did, is we, we've had it kind of beaten to our brain. There's either medical use or recreational use. He's like, no, it's not recreational. It's adult use. And uh, that, that really, that really painted a better picture for me. I, it's not my thing. I, I don't, I don't use, but to each their own. I, I'm all for your ability to put it in your body, whatever you want. Uh, just, you got to deal with the consequences and repercussions of it after you do it. But, <clears throat> and, and I think that we should absolutely have fair, you know, adult use, whatever. Just, I owned bars for years and I've watched the effect of alcohol on people, whether it's from drunk driving accidents, uh, uh, medical issues, alcoholism, whatever. And just rarely with, I'm not saying that people can't camp out on a couch all day and stay high and be useless, but it just does not seem to have near the negative effects of say alcoholism and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I, I just, I don't see why we're dragging our feet on it. I guess uh, there's a lot of powerful alcohol companies out there that don't want to, that don't want any competition. Well, I'll tell you a quick anecdote. You know, I actually had a friend who was a military service member who came back from uh, Afghanistan with a lot of PTSD. 
And uh, he, he began to self-medicate himself with alcohol and got himself into alcoholism uh, due to the, to the PTSD he had suffered. And it was actually uh, having therapy alongside of using cannabis as a, a means to reduce anxiety for him that actually helped him free himself from the grips of alcoholism. And so, you know, that's a medical use for cannabis, but also he's someone who can now, as an adult, when he, when he feels the need, use cannabis instead of alcohol and not destroy his entire you know, future and family and this stuff. And so I think there is a great application for adults to just be able to, you know, smoke a joint if they want to. It's not a terrible behavior. Also, you know, it's, it's proven, again, to be less dangerous than alcohol, less dangerous than tobacco. And uh, I, I see no reason why we're going to be throwing people in jail for doing something that really doesn't harm anybody if you're an adult doing it. You know, of course, kids. Hey, kids, don't smoke pot. You know, don't drink alcohol either. Don't smoke cigarettes. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of things that kids shouldn't do, but us adults have the right and, 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 the, and the ability to do without fear of being arrested. Um, and, that's, and, you know, again, similar to alcohol, yeah, personal consumption. That doesn't mean personally get super high and get behind the wheel. That doesn't mean personally, you know, do all kinds, you know, operate heavy machinery. But it means that you can make that decision for yourself. No, yeah, I, there's a guy, a buddy of mine, Mike Watkins, calls to the show a good bit. He's a he, he's led the charge from the uh, military veteran side of things about the PTSD, and he used to take a ridiculous amount of pills a day, whether it be pain pills, anxiety medicine, so on and so forth. And he started with the marijuana, and he's completely replaced those pills that all that regiment of uh, big big pharma with mar- with medical marijuana. And he's 100% off that, and solely credits it to the marijuana, if I remember correctly. So, And that is probably why cannabis is still a Schedule One substance, because, you know, our government's bought and paid for by these giant corporate interests, one of them being Big Pharma. And I imagine that they're putting money in pockets to say, hey, man, make sure you don't get cannabis legalized nationwide, because if you do, we're going to lose a lot of money on our opiates. And, you know, I personally would rather somebody treat their pain with cannabis than with an opiate, and I think many doctors would agree to that if they were in a state that has medical cannabis, and we could start fighting this opiate crisis that we have all over the country by treating pain with a medication that is not nearly as addictive, that actually has uh, far less negative health benefits, and that can actually help people overcome their pain in a manageable way without putting them, and you want to talk about being stoned on the couch, opiates will do that to you too in a way that is even worse than uh, cannabis. And so there, the cannabis is something that can be treated in dosage amounts. It's a lot easier to uh, you know, administer that way as opposed to an opiate, which is coming in a pill form, and then people get addicted to opiates. It, you don't have the same chemical addiction to cannabis that you do to opiates. Uh, and I think that's a great way to fight this crisis that we are seeing in cities and towns and, and small, uh, you know, in, in villages all over this country. You know, I was all for the war on opioids that started under Trump. Un- unfortunately, the unintended consequences of that is there wasn't a there wasn't a realistic replacement for those opioids for people to get the help they needed so when you started cutting back people's prescriptions and made it basically damn near criminalizing these doctors for writing the medicine people needed without a suitable replacement it opened up the back door for this fentanyl crisis we're now dealing with well i think it was the iron law prohibition or something like that you make something Mm -hmm. smaller and more powerful and that's what uh, that's what's happened and that's the result of uh, drug prohibition and prohibitionist policies by big government. And that's what's been happening through cannabis. Again, 
through opiates even now you're seeing, well, because of these crackdowns and because of big government really cracking down on it the way they had, in a way that's not productive, in a way that is not helping, it's actually hurting the system because now you're having an influx of a new drug. And, the, and again, if we, we, we can either keep chasing this you know, uh, and trying to assume we're going to catch up to it, or we can have a new policy, a policy that is more freedom-based, a policy that is more empathically based for people, and a policy that's actually going to help people treat their addiction without fear. Because that's the other thing is, is if you're an addict, you're scared that you're going to go to jail right now because you're an addict and, you're, and you fear actually getting those resources. If we had a, a less prohibitionist, a less drug war centered policy in regards to addiction, more people would seek help and more people would get help. And I sincerely believe that. Uh, and I, I think that's why we have to change our conversation away from what can government do to what can communities do by reaching out to one another and helping people. That's the way I grew up. I grew up here in the South. And, uh, you know, we help our neighbors here. You know, if someone needs a cup of sugar, we got it, you know, or, or if someone needs a place to stay or a shirt on their back, we help care for them. We need to have that mindset uh, nationwide and not just rely on government to take care of the problems. But we can do that ourselves if we're empowered to do it. And I, I think that's what the libertarian message ultimately is about. No, I, I could agree more. I love what you said about the South there. And, you know, I've never when somebody needed help, I've never asked pre-qualifying questions uh What's your gender? What's what's your political affiliation? None of that. If somebody needs something, mm-hmm. we, we, we reach out and we help. Community, localized well, community, we got to get back to that. Hey, real quick, I want to go back to one thing. You mentioned about the uh, the Biden regime talking about declassifying or de- unscheduling um, marijuana. You know, that just feels like the low-hanging fruit. I, I, I was disappointed that Trump didn't do it. And I, I thought, well, if nothing else comes out of four years at least of this regime, they'll decriminalize marijuana. And I, I just I do not understand why they haven't done it, especially uh, around the midterms. But maybe it's something they're saving for the, the 24 cycle. I don't know. Well, you know, Biden announced shortly before the midterms they were looking to deschedule. And I think that actually got a lot of young people out to vote for Democrats. And it helped stave off the, the Republican, you know, the red wave that they thought was going to come that wasn't really as much of a wave as people thought. You know, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that young people came out hearing, oh, he's going to deschedule cannabis. I'm going to go vote. Well, they voted. The votes have been cast. Where's the action from the Biden administration? It's a little bit of a sleight of hand. It's like a shell game, you know. And then, of course, they're going to bring that back up again right before the next election to try to get those votes out again. Let me assure you, if we had a libertarian in the White House, cannabis would not be an issue right now. We'd be focusing on other much more important issues than arresting people for pot. And we would be pardoning, uh, you know, anybody who's federally there for pot, just pure, uh, you know, possession or distribution. You should be allowed to be pardoned on day one. If we had a libertarian president, that would happen. Amen. Well, hey, look here in closing, tell people how they can find you and where you're going to be this Saturday night. Oh, well, so this Saturday night, I'm going to be at the Foundren. I think this is the, the Foundren public. Foundren, Foundren public. Foundren. I'm so sorry. All good. Yeah, but at the Foundren public. Uh, this Saturday in Jackson. I'm also going to be in Gulfport Saturday morning uh, at a cannabis uh, event, event. People can go check out um, my website, votechaseoliver.com, and that'll get you plugged in. If you sign up for email updates, you'll know where I'm going to be at, what I'm going to be doing uh, in the future. But if you want to know uh, where I'm going to be doing right now, follow me on Twitter, at Chase for Liberty, or on Facebook, Chase Oliver hyphen Libertarian. Chase, Chase pre- Oliver Libertarian. Chase, I appreciate you jumping up this morning and joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, you're welcome on any other time. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Have a blessed one. All right, man. Good interview there. Uh, I learned a lot this morning from uh, from Chase Oliver. Uh, he is a libertarian, uh, 
doing a an exploratory committee on running for president. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. And I've got a couple texts here on the Guns and Gear text line talking about what Dagwood said that a libertarian basically got his eight years of Bill Clinton. And I, I grew up thinking that too. I did. Or a third party candidate got us eight years of Bill Clinton. Should I say he wasn't a libertarian? It was Ross Perot. Um, but the polling, the, 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 the polling they did, the exit polling says differently. Now, I, I grew up thinking that that was the case. I really did. But again, that's statistically, the polling doesn't back that up. It says it was disenfranchised voters and pretty evenly split down the middle. Now, maybe that's a lie. You know, whatever. I don't know. But it's statistically, uh, we have seen that polling can definitely be wrong. Look no further than 2016. All right, we got Derek on hold. We're going to come back to and hit his phone call up. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We'll be right back on 103.9 WYAB. Breaking rules when necessary. Welcome back in. This is the Clay Edwards Show. We are live in the Mack Hike of Flowood Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Studios. This segment is going to be brought to you by A1 Gear and Auto. Get out there right there on Highway 49 for all of your automotive repair needs. But they specialize in your ring and pinion. So if you've gotten... Some uh, vibration that you can't quite track down in your vehicle. It could be your rear end or your front end if it's front wheel drive. It could be your ring and pinion there. Get over there and see them. If you got some new big big wheels and tires put on your on your Jeep or your four wheel drive truck, get over there and see them. Make sure you got the right ring and pinion set up. Make a huge difference in your gas mileage, your performance, your torque, your top end, your bottom end, the whole nine yards. Get over there to A1 Gear and Auto. Anything from check engine lights to rear ends they do it all except diesel engine repair you're gonna have to miss them on that but uh they'll do everything else a1 gear and auto located right there on highway 49 in florence big white building down on the right can't miss it all right on the clay show.com hotline we've got derek derek thank you for staying on hold brother hey good morning brother uh, i hate i missed the call man that was a really good segment but i only had one thought about the whole uh um, legalization of marijuana, because, you know, my thing is, if it can help somebody legalize it, but um, what I tell a lot of my defensive driving students is, hey, look, you know, a lot of these politicians are, are engaging in fear tactics, saying, well, everybody's going to walk around hiding on marijuana. I said, no, it's still going to be against, you know, against a lot of job on the influence of it, just like it is with prescription medication. But the only thing I worry about with the medical marijuana thing is if there are people abusing it like there are opioids, isn't isn't the crime rate not going? I mean, the incarceration rate not going to change at all. If it's legalized, yeah. If it's legalized and you have to have a prescription for it, but there are still people that that are smoking it, abusing it, don't have a prescription. Are they going to treat them like they do people that abuse pharmaceutical um, pharmacy prescriptions and things like that? Because well, I mean, if it is, that means that the, the, the legal, I mean, the um, incarceration rate is really not going to change much. Don't you think? Well, yeah, not not with it as a medical. No, the incarceration rate is not going to change. But if they if they legalize adult use where you don't have to have the medical card, then yes, uh, the the incarceration rate will change. But based on the the medical use, I mean, it could come down some people who would have only had it for medical use. You know, th- they'll stay out of jail. As long as they have their prescription card, but people who are still just using it for adult use or, you know, don't feel like they can get it from their doctor, people who have it without a prescription, I guess the best way to say it, are still going to be 
up for jail. Right. So, and that's the only thing I wish that both sides of the fence could clarify, the difference between medicinal use and recreational use. And if you notice, there, there, there really hasn't been a line drawn between that when you think about it. No, I think the other thing, too, is I don't think it should be political. I think I know as many, uh, quote-unquote, redneck conservatives that smoke weed as I do Democrats. It is, it is, a, it is a universally loved substance, <laughs> just like alcohol. I know plenty of both that, 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 that consume both. And if people want to put marijuana in their bodies, that is up to them. I, I just do not have a problem with it. Uh, I, think, I think it should be 21 not 18. That's just me. Let Get to that point in life. I know that I've told the story at nauseum, but marijuana was the first drug I ever did. And it did lead me to doing other drugs. Not because I, not because I woke up or got high. I said, man, I am suddenly craving some cocaine. You know, it was, it, it loosened up my inhibitions and it showed me that all that bad stuff I heard about marijuana or, or reefer madness wasn't true. So I said, well, then all the stuff they say about pills or powder and all that, that must not be true either because marijuana didn't kill me. It actually made me feel great. Well, what if I do these other things? So it, it, it did loosen up my inhibitions in that sense, and it was a gateway drug for me. But I started smoking pot at 16 years old, maybe younger. I can't really remember, 15 years old, somewhere in there. So yeah. I, 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 that, that, is my, that is my one concern and drawback about uh, non-medicinal use of it but teach your own at the end of the day teach your own right right i agree but you know i guess you pretty much said what i was trying to say in, in one simple thing it doesn't need to be politicized that's basically what i was trying to say sure sure you know, it should be a political talking point. i agree I, th- I think it's something that, that that it would the boomer generation is the reason that it's still considered a schedule one narcotic because i believe if gen xers or millennials were in charge, this would have already ended a long time ago. Well, but that's well, what happened. You got 75 and 80-year-olds running the country. Well, can, can, Clay, can I put this on the, on the minds of the listeners uh, who may not be sold on medicinal marijuana? You cannot find one case where marijuana has caused anybody harm like you have any just by any pharmaceutical that's ever been created. You can't find one shred of evidence. Now, I don't want to hear people say, well, if people lace marijuana or, or make it wet or they do this or that. No, no, no. That's because they've modified it. Marijuana in its natural state has not killed a single person. Agreed. Agreed. Dan- and then the pharmaceutical companies put poison in your bodies with impunity, and they're immune from lawsuits. Well, I mean, hell, what about cigarettes? You know, how- no, but you know, at least, at least, in our, at least the, the cigarette industry has been held accountable. Pharmaceutical company has never been held accountable for any of the, 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 the poison they push. No, we're, and I'm about to talk about that as soon as we hang up. Derek, great call today, brother. I appreciate you as always. Stay safe, stay blessed, have a good weekend. Hey, I'm going to call you later on, but i got to tell you something. Okay, please do. All right. All right, bye. All right, man, great call from Derek there. You know, and, and, and that goes to the point about it not being politicized. It doesn't need to be politicized. If you listen to the show, you know Derek is as conservative right-wing as anybody. And he's also a uh, a reserve officer. I won't say for who, but he's a reserve officer. And for him to have that opinion about marijuana, it, it, I'm guessing there's a lot more people similar to Derek and myself with that same opinion. Uh, he, he, he mentioned Big Pharma. So l- let's talk about the jab, shall we?
celebrities. I, for a long time, just assumed that there was no way all these NFL athletes and these celebrities were really taking the same poison they were trying to give all of us. I really just assumed that they were taking saline because there was no way they really were taking that voluntarily and and pushing it like they were without being uh, financially compensated. Well, Elvis's daughter has died, Lisa Marie Presley. You know, I have a funny Elvis thing. I was my mom was in labor with me in the hospital on August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven, when Elvis died. Now I didn't come out the womb until the seventeenth, but the news broke of Elvis's death while she was in labor with me. So naturally, yeah, I know I'm Elvis Presley reincarnated. So I have I've always had a close tie to Elvis being that I was him in a past life. So Lisa Marie dying is uh, is very sad to me. And uh, I blame the jab and Fauci on that. So there's that. Let's see here. Speaking of Elvis Presley, <laughs> speaking of Elvis Presley, his cousin, uh, what's his name? Brandon Presley is running, is going to run for governor of Mississippi as a Democrat. If you go out there and you vote for this guy just because he was Elvis Presley's cousin, I'm going to kick you in the shin. And he ain't no much older than me. And he looks every bit of 65 or 70. And I, don't, I think he's barely 50, if that. <clears throat> so, anyway, I really wish, I mean, look, Tate has done some good things here lately. I've been in Tate's camp, but y'all know I've I built <clears throat> I built my empire, <laughs> whatever you want to call it, uh, giving Tate Reeves a chocolate and Tarlamumba hell through COVID, and I stand on that. I had an opportunity at Neshoba to take a picture with Tate. <laughs> I think Fred Shanks was like, "Hey, there's Tate. If you want to get a picture," I was like, "I ain't getting a picture with Tate Reeves. It ain't happening." I talk too much crap about that man. I ain't about to walk up and people get a picture of me and Tate Reeves. I stand by the things I say. But uh, but, but I can also give credit where credit's due and say Tate's done a hell of a job. But I would still love to see somebody stand up and run against Tate. But it is hard to unseat a unseat a, a, a sitting a sitting governor or an incumbent in general. So I guess we're going to see your Chris your Chris McDaniel's of the world. Sit this one out. I think Chris may run against, I don't know this, but the assumption is that Chris is going to run for lieutenant governor. And I believe I believe Hoseman is beatable. He's very beatable. And he's a Democrat playing Republican. So we're going to find out how many of y'all are true conservatives. I want to find, we're going to find out, because I think, I think if you vote for Delbert Hoseman, you're a Democrat. But uh, I, I'm getting a little off track here. <clears throat> anyway, Tate's done some things that I like. I love that Tate stood up to Chakwe Antar Lumumba and the extremist terrorists that are running Jackson, Mississippi throughout the water crisis and just called it like it is. It was a crisis of incompetence. I love that. I mean, right now, Tate's got my vote because there's nobody else on the ballot that I like. But I did like that. I I can't lie. I mean, that, 
I mean, I'll never be able to forgive for what happened during COVID, the closing of churches. Don't forget that. A Republican governor, the party of religion, closed churches. Never forget that. When it's it's time to pull that lever at some point, never forget. And that's why I'm even entertaining uh, a a guy running for president as as a libertarian. I never would have done that. You know, and I, I enjoyed that conversation with Chase. I, and I try to go into these things and not be argumentative. I try to learn, you know, try to ask the questions I think y'all want to hear. You know, try the simple man, the blue collar questions. Anyway, but uh, Tate standing up against Antar was, was good, but I still can never forgive him for for the uh, the COVID lockdowns. I, I can't. I cannot do it. Let's uh, call her. Stay on hold. Got a call on hold. We're going to come back from a break real quick. Close out the show for the week. This is The Clay Edwards Show. We'll be right back. Breaking rules. Welcome back into The Clay Edwards Show. We're live in the Mac Hike of Flowood Studios. we got a caller that stayed on hold through the break, so we're going to go straight to the caller to close out the show. Hey, caller, you got about a minute. Yes. Uh, I uh, hate to disagree with you on something, and I'm absolutely no fan of Tate Reeves. But but as far as the churches go, he recommended that the churches close. The pastors closed their churches. Uh, he didn't necessarily, he did not, like in California, uh, fine or imprison or arrest pastors that left their churches open. Uh, it was recommendation, and they all followed it. Uh, again, I'm no fan of Tate Reeves, but uh, it just needs to be a correction, and I and I could be wrong, you know. Correct me if I am. Well, I'll go back and double check. I, could, I, I will. I will say that I very well could be wrong too. But I specifically remember him having a press conference and dragging some black pastor from Natchez up there with him that didn't want to close his church and uh, encouraged him in front of the uh, statewide media to do so. And I just thought it was terribly distasteful. But yeah, I mean, he may have suggested it may not have been a legal thing, but surely it was because they would arrest restaurant people for opening their re- their restaurant. So I, I think well, church was considered the, the same. A lot of the enforcement on these recommendations came from cities like threatening to, to withhold their uh, or take their business license. And some of the churches like in Greenwood, uh, there was legal action taken against some of those churches, but they were from the, uh, the city. The, the local municipality. Counties. Exactly. It weren't from Tate Reeve, but it was all based on his recommendation. Gotcha. Hey, brother, I got to jump off here, man. Great call. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. All right, man. Let's close out the show here. Uh, I enjoyed that today. We've we've gotten to a point where we're able to do a lot of different type of shows, and I I really enjoy that. I enjoy y'all sticking with me as I navigate the waters, figuring out different things to talk about. I thought today was... You know, back on course, back to what kind of what the show was built on, uh, politics and whatnot, and into freedoms and liberties and justice and all that fun stuff. Uh, <clears throat> today is Friday the 13th, so uh, go get your Jason mask, your hockey mask, as some people may call them. They're still Jason masks to me, considering uh, nobody in hockey actually wears hockey mask, except maybe the goalie. Anyway, happy Friday the 13th. I had a, uh, had a good time doing the shows this week. I've had a good week personally. And uh, hope to see you all back here Monday. We got Jim Thorne coming up next. I'm not sure who his musical guest is today, but sure to be a good one. And followed by Mike Madison. So looking forward to hearing Mike's show today. Should be a big one. And then, of course, Jameson Haygood 
We got our national uh, from eleven to noon. We got our national stuff, and then Kim Wade will close out the day, four to six p.m. Uh, right here on Friday. So you always know Kim shows out on Fridays. Have folks doing the belt buckle crawl. Uh, Jackson had, had doubled his homicides in the last couple of days too. We'll be back Monday. ClayEdwardShow.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week as the Clay Edwards Show discusses all that is going on in and around the city of Jackson. This concludes our broadcast day. Right here on 103.9 WYAB.